hamster with a blunt penknife would do it quicker. Welcome back to uh, Hamster with a Blunt Pen Knife, the Doctor Who commentary podcast. The highlights of my life are discussing Doctor Who with my two bestest friends, Simon Hart and Fraser Gregory. However, we are Sam's Simon Hart today. I'm here with Fraser Gregory. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you? We're watching Ambassadors of Death and we've already thought of about 50 reasons as to why this is the best Doctor Who story ever. And we haven't even mentioned the, the actual greatest reason. Go on. Which is the single best bit of ephemera that has ever been included in Doctor Who, that has ever been shown on screen, the one single object which has got the most indefinable magic, you know, the thing that sets this story higher than any other story. Baffled. What is it? Liz Shaw's hat. Oh my god, it's incredible, isn't it? <laughs> it's amazing. It's just a work of art. It's just absolutely stunning. It just, you know, melts me heart every time I look at it. it, is, it uh, honestly, I mean, I could see that on Emma Peel, you know, Tara King, any one of them, the fashion icons of the time. Oh, she looks fabulous. And the fact that she goes running down that weir wearing yes. it, she manages yeah. to drive a car and it stays on her head. <laughs> it's a hat for all seasons it's it's just it's a masterpiece of design you know that with that boots is just tremendous well okay well no actually let's tip into episode two but mm -hmm. i've got i've got a question for you straight off the bat okay all right um again i'm just going to apologize to anyone for any background noise that we hear um, my um four-month-old puppy is currently tiring herself out in the room with a squeaky toy so any squeaking it's I mean, not I the wheels of my DVD more intelligent noises than you and me put together. So, you know, I think they're most welcome, if you ask me. Yeah, she's a fan of the story, so <laughs> she's got good taste. And we have, a, we have an audience that is very patient as well. <laughs> <laughs> have you heard the audio quality of my first 100 episodes? Oh, stunning. stunning. You finally come out the toilet, Fraser. <laughs> well, I've got the wife to thank for that, for buying us a Yeti. Yeti on the loo in Tootenbeck, so... What's that? What for buying you the the microphone? Yeah, I got me. She she, uh, she got me a Yeti for Christmas. So fabulous one it is too. Yes, that is not a euphemism, Lucy. Do not come at us. <laughs> All right. Oh no, you count us in. Cool, you do it. Okay, I shall do with that. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. I shall do it then. In how many beans make five? Four, three, two, one. Play. So my question for you is this, yeah, is, is Liz Shaw the best classic Doctor Who companion? Nearly. Oh. I think um, Ace probably tips it for me. Um, why is, but why is she so strong? It's because she, I mean, we, to, um, when we did the two Doctors, our very first recording, you know, as a threesome, you mean, so I, I made what I thought was a really bold statement that no one actually batted an eyelid at, which was that, you know, Doctor Who has never given us a female companion that is anything less than strong or intelligent. You know, the, most of them are either, you know, really strong characters or really intelligent. Where's Dodo? Mel? Mel, computer programmer. Mel's great. She's, she's independent as hell, honestly. Yeah. 
you know, even like Victoria, who there's a lot of screaming around, is, you know, strong from the sense that, you know, Victorian orphan thrown into a world of Cybermen and Daleks and full monsters and yetis and, you know, holes are one. Um, I think when companions like Victoria, you know, you don't expect a lot of them. So like yeah, when she picks up that gun in Tomb of the Cybermen and blasts that Cyberman to hell, yeah. I'm very impressed. Absolutely. Um, but I think obviously Liz has got both of those qualities in abundance. She, the thing that annoys me very much about, about Liz Shaw is how often she gets called Miss. Okay. Miss Shaw. It's always Miss Shaw. It's never Dr. Shaw. Right. I'm just like, she's got like six doctors or something, hasn't she? She's... You know, it's never Dr. Shaw, which it should be, um, because, you know, we forget, you know, exactly how clever she is, but she's such a strong character as well. Um, in this story, we'll see in a couple of episodes time where she is captured and she goes to work on Lennox straight away. Like, what are you doing? I know you. You're a scientist. What you got yourself in there with this lot for? Help me escape. Come to the Brigadier. You know, she just goes straight to work at him. Um you know, I've had that scene there where Taltalian's held her at gunpoint and thrown it to the floor, and she's just pushed herself straight back up. Yeah, straight oh, back up again. Okay. Do you know what annoys me? Right, is yeah. that I think Barry Letts and Terrence Sticks are fantastic at their jobs and what they're doing in Doctor Who. I also actually think uh, JNT is a a very very competent producer of Doctor Who, and yet they all three of those men have the same issue with having a companion because it's this show with the third doctor and it's romana with the fourth doctor of having two smart leads yep. uh kind of running the show and i don't think that's a problem i don't think that's a problem either i think um if you look at season six you've got zoe who yeah. is you know, very similar to, to Liz Shaw. Like you say, you've got Romana, you know, Green Williams gives us Romana. Um, even GNT, I would say, he gets a bit of a pass because he gives us Nissa. Um, he gives us Adric. He gives us Although Nissa, I feel, is a bit bit more of in that sort of victim mode. I think by by default that she's basically a kid, isn't she? She is. Um, you get Turlo as well. So you go from, you know, GNT writes out Romana, but replaces her with Nissa, who is a softer character, you know, um, he writes out K9, replaces K9 with Adric. He writes out Adric and replaces Adric with Turlo. Um, you know, so there is that, you know, smart companion that's running through the series, um, you know, quite a bit. I know it, it is a a feeling, I think. Um, and, I, you know, do you want to sit here and, and cast cast aspersions at um, Barrelettes and Town Sticks? But I think it is a bit of a feeling to say this doesn't work. You know, it's a theory of, of writing to say that a smart character, smart companion doesn't work. You write around it. I think this story shows us exactly how a strong a smart companion works because it allows um, us to put a character in with um, the bad guys. So you get Liz gets captured and goes off and is our point of view character with Regan and Lennox and the ambassador. So we have someone there who was then able to, um, you know, explain to us what's going on there when the doctor isn't. You know, that's that's where this type of companion comes into their own. This but you know, they say work. they brought in Joe to like ask 
the the audience identification questions. Liz does do that in this season. Yeah. When it's something outside of her scope of knowledge, which is extraterrestrial things, she asked him those questions. But you've you've all you've got an ensemble cast. You've got the brigadier who can ask those questions. Benton comes in. Benton can be the one that asks those questions. Um, You don't need to, you know, write out a character like Liz Shaw and bring in a character like Joe Grant. You know, they bring different things. It's very much, you know, Victoria versus um, Zoe, um, you know, in in that dynamic. Each character brings their own dynamic to the story. So this story would not work with Joe Grant whatsoever. Oh, this, season, then, this whole season, you couldn't yeah. have Inferno and have an alternative Joe Grant as no. the section leader. And you, and in fact, in that story specifically, you need an actress as strong as Carolyn John yeah. to play yeah. that role, to be though, kind of a bit evil and sympathetic at the same time. Equally, though, when you come to something like uh, Curse of Peladon, it wouldn't work with Liz. No. That, oh, no. and another thing, I think Joe's marvelous. Don't get me wrong. I think absolutely, I think absolutely. I don't want to come and bury bury Joe Grant or any other companion because Great. they are tremendous. But I think Liz Shaw is. Um, massively done a massive disservice then to that she'd never get to departure or to step off earth as well i would like to have seen that too i know we go to the parallel universe do you know what else as well though i think there's a very sophisticated chemistry between john pertwee and caroline john and there are moments of um extreme intimacy the bit in the side where she gets clawed in the face and he's there and he is fussing over and stroking her face the bit where he wakes up in inferno and she's with him and he's touching her face um the people say it's like the joe grant third doctor thing that's kind of where the romance is i don't think it is i think it's here i think yeah there's this so so many levels start relationship like i said in, in episode on, on that bit where she brings him the tea and just thumps him on the shoulder is such a <laughs> you know it's it's such a relatable thing to see but she's like the nagging wife where she goes yeah. oh it'll make a nice trip for us come on you know yeah. we'll go in the car <laughs> and you've got the the, the bit in Silurians where you know she has to nag him to get his um injection as well um, you know what their compromise is, don't you, Barry Les and Terence Dix? Is obviously they do this extreme, then they do Joe Grant, which is kind yeah. of like the other extreme. Then they do Sarah Jane, and she is both the victim, she can ask questions because she's the journalist, and she's a strong female character as well. So it's just kind of like ticking every single box. Yeah. Which Liz is great. Liz is, Liz- uh, and, I, and I think, I don't know if you ever listened to any of her big finishes before caroline john died but she did some really really good work yeah yeah it's a big loss um like i say just all, all she needs is just that that scene to say i'm leaving you know she needs that story where at the end she realizes well actually yes um you know i am a bit better than just you know running over weirs and getting clawed by monsters you know i've got my other or even that just like well you know it's wonderful saving the world but you know i've still you know, I've got you quizzes to researching. Controversial, but I probably could. Most of the stories in season eight, I like certainly in the mind of evil. You could slip Liz Shaw in. I would have liked that second season with Liz, and then two seasons with Joe. Yeah, yeah. I think you know. Like I said, Joe brings things into like Colony in Space, where she has that um, first trip out. In the TARDIS, and she's really scared. 
yeah. and, and the doctor again is quite a dick to her and <clears throat> just makes her go out and explore the mud um you know that's the sort of thing that joe grant really you know excels at um i think the the story in season eight that's the closest to this is claws of axos yeah I can see, you know, you stick an extra two episodes on Clones of Axos, which is um, the sort of like political machinations of Axonite being spread around the world and whatnot. And all of a sudden it fits, it fits perfectly into... I think Clones of Axos could do with a couple more episodes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's directed by Michael Ferguson as well. It's directed by Michael Ferguson as well. Um, and... uh, did you notice, talking of strong women, how many women there were working in this? Yeah. A fabulous woman there with a Barbara Windsor style haircut in the background there with a clipboard it's 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 just sort of world building isn't it it's like we've got this big set it's a big massive set which probably isn't a big massive set but you know michael ferguson is making it look like a big massive set with people layer levels people on different levels you know working with extras you know it's really building a sense of of this being the space center but what i love about his direction is the close-ups you know, there's yeah. so many close-ups. You know, he's he's given us really beautiful. There's another one of of the Nick Courtney's peach there. <laughs> oh, it's marvelous, honestly. It Biteable, I'm telling you. Right, I'm going to segue then. I'm going to ask you a question. Go on. Unit costumes. Oh, I don't agree with them at all. I think the season seven costumes are way better than the series. I think they just look like kind of Colonel Blimp <laughs> from Terror Boot, and then, and and it's it's a bit too smart and it, it always looks freshly pressed and clean like they, it's just off the rack whereas i feel this is a bit sort of boiler suity a bit more ready for action you know yeah it's look at this they've built a fucking rocket and put it on location i think the production value yeah it's just mm. it's just immense you know you've got you know there's a there's a, there's a crane comes in obviously you've got a big massive flatbed to put the big rocket on to drive it back to the space center so you can just see it's money 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 oh, i don't think the production value ever dips this season no. at all no not at all i think there's the odd special effects shot but you know hey when are we ever going to criticize doctor who for that absolutely i mean there's heavy i mean this is what lets and dicks brought in is at the action you know yeah. this is this is what gave the show the shot in the arm that it needed to to survive it's easy to forget that after you know we love season six as doctor who fans but the public didn't the public were and that you know there are cheapies aren't there yeah. for all you love the dominators uh for all i like the crotons you know the money well, everyone, the purse is dry yeah it's it's not so much that it's just it's you know the production itself is just kind of running on fumes a little bit you know pat trouton's knackered you know how much of you know season six is just survives just through the chemistry of you know, Pat Trout and Fraser Hines and Wendy Padbury. Which is so strong, it does survive through it that. It does. But... You know, you could power the country on that. <laughs> but I, I solve this energy crisis. The show in Brian idea of having longer stories set on Earth so you can give this fucking show some production value pays off in space. Because I think when we go into series season eight, there are moments where the money kind of runs out and it, yeah. it's... You know they're they're trying a bit too much. I think there's a couple of things going on sort of behind the scenes. Is obviously like you say, like um, Derek Sherwin's come in. You know, had this idea we'll strand the Doctor on Earth and everything's going to be Earthbound. 
um, we'll make longer stories um, to, to maximise the budget sort of thing. It's interesting that Terence Dix um, says, you know, one of those was a great idea and one of those was absolutely ridiculous in the commentary. I can't... <laughs> don't know if he actually specifies which one he thinks is which. Well, no, um, I've heard him say in other commentaries, he thinks both of them were bad. Yeah. Unit isn't really Doctor Who, and Earthbound Adventures isn't really Doctor Who. Well, I think in terms of the Earthbound Adventures, it was Mark Hulk that says to him, you know, you've really narrowed your options. You're either going to have an alien invasion or a, a mad scientist is the stories. But we don't get that played out in this season we get Dick says doesn't he he goes i was determined to prove him yeah. wrong that's why he did the silurus they was here all along you know <laughs> that's it so you've got spearhead which is the alien invasion and you've got silurians which is an alien invasion but not really because they are already here you get um this one which is not the mad scientist it's the mad military you know it's not an alien invasion it's a alien encounter um and then obviously inferno is sideways in the parallel universe but dudley simpson's back on so we need to have another sing song oh marvelous but you know did, i don't know if you ever watched the behind the sofas features on season eight you've got angeli mahindra and sasha yeah. dewan watching those stories right and i think it's enduring mind of evil where Angelina Mahindra goes, well, I figured, you know, like they weren't going to have any money and this was all going to be really cheap. She goes, now I'm under the impression that they had a bigger budget back then than what we've got now because they're just, and this story kind of exemplifies that. Doesn't well, it? this is it. This is the other thing that was going on behind the scenes is that we went from um, black and white to colour. Mm. The colour TV licence is coming, which costs more than the black and white. Oh, they had more money coming in, didn't they? So they yeah. have actually, you know, for all that, um, you know, it's a low Bloody budget. helicopter Fraser, for God's exactly. sake. This is James Bond now. Exactly. And you've got, um, because the story is, is that um, as scripted, what happens here is two policemen pop up in the road and divert the wagon. Oh, yes. This and is then, a great story, isn't and it? And it's, it's sort of like Robin Hooded out. And then like Michael you know Ferguson Aaron gets Sticks. the script. Doesn't he have a go at Michael Ferguson? I made this deliberately cheap. And then you came along and said, we'll have helicopters, bombs, yes. cars. Yeah. That's it. Michael Ferguson gets the script and goes, no, that's a bit boring. Can we not just jazz this up a bit? And obviously Barry Letts just goes, oh, yeah, fine. Because they have got like more money than than what they would yeah. norm normally have. So, and because of the, the way that they're spending it, so now they can get helicopters. And it's the same as Mind of Evil. Um, you know, Mind of Evil is, again, another story that fits the mould of this season very well because you've got unit doing unit things you've got unit actually being soldiers and you have that big um shootout in in the prison and you have helicopters where barry letter just went you <laughs> was I mean, it it's all out this isn't it <laughs> it's all going on here yeah and i don't i'm not sure i think it was mind of evil uh that when like prohibitively over budget and that's yeah. why tim coop never directed doctor who again which is a shame because he's a really really stylish director as well but at the same time you know the story kind of goes that they got to the end of the script and went well i can't see any way of, out of this other than a helicopter so by the went, yeah go on then have a helicopter <laughs> you know uh, there's a great out of this other than ferguson says you know you write it and i'll direct it yeah. all right <laughs> <laughs> so oh. I've, I've got another question for you then because obviously we've, we've had that scene um in the warehouse in episode one which is a big shootout 
um, that we we look and we've got this scene here now, which is again is just action by havoc, literally just blowing off the screen, gas guns going off and everything. One of your favourite directors is Dougie Canfield. Yeah, and he was very good. You know, a military man, very good at these sort of scenes. Do you think Dougie Canfield would have done a better job of this than Michael Ferguson? Well, that's really hard to say because I think the action he directed on location in Inferno is stunning. Like the sequence where the Doctor first materialises in the alternative universe and there's a massive action sequence on location. It's every bit as good as this. Probably not, maybe on par. I think they're about as good as each other, you know? I don't know what happened to Michael Ferguson after Claws of Axos. Like, I don't know why he didn't direct any more. I think he just moved on. He went off to, to bigger and better things. Um, he... It's a shame, though, because they're not calling him back to do commentaries and things. He should have done some more. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's on this one, um, which is really good, because obviously he passed away um, not too long ago. I think it was October last year. Do you know what yeah. really struck me about this? Uh, not so much here, but in the later episodes, was just how much this felt like the X-Files to me with a government conspiracy, people in higher places doing underhanded yeah. things, hiding evidence and things yeah. like that, kidnapping the aliens and having them. All of that plays out across the seven or eight seasons of the X-Files, the first seven or eight yeah, yeah. seasons. Um, I'm wondering if Chris Carter was paying attention, you know. I would say so. It's, oh, this um, is great. Oh, Bessie seems to have stopped. I mean... Pertwee in this is just this again. Why I love this is because Pertwee gets this balance right of being, you know, this this pompous, arrogant, you know, overbearing person. But he's he's got a twinkle in his eye throughout. He's um, at the start um, he gets, you know, kind of thought over it because that's what we do. But um, the cliffhanger resolution is he's got the tape and he sort of magics it. Oh, well, oh, I've heard people really complain about that because it is actual magic. And well, that's usually... Oh, no, what about McCoy? He does magic tricks all the time. Well, as Arthur C. Clarke said, you know, to, you know, any civilization, you know, advanced enough technology is indistinguishable from magic. So that's... Well, they actually throw that in Battlefield. Remember when he yeah. pulls that bit of chalk out of nowhere and says, I got it from the dartboard? Yeah. <laughs> it's a great line. You know, so, but... Um, you know, Liz, Liz has a line at one where she says, like, oh, well, I thought you must have moved it forward in time again. Um, and he, he, oh, and he goes, transmigration of objects. Exactly. He comes back and he says something like, oh, don't be silly, Liz. That was, this is just pure trans, transmigration of object. <laughs> he follows it up. He follows it up with a smile. You know what I mean? He follows it up and goes, he gives her a smile to make sure that he is. Yeah. Sorry, there's nothing more doctorish than this. Oh, my God. The thing's been hijacked, it's been kidnapped, and then he's just got his slack jaw and the doctor's there with the capsule, like, where you been, Lethbridge Stewart? <laughs> it's so great. You've lost this. I found it for you. Oh, in a minute, this is a very, it's a brilliant but very offbeat cliffhanger, isn't mm. it? Because it's not a moment of danger. It's no, a moment well, of what the hell are we going to discover? It's not even that. Um, we'll, we'll discuss it when when we get there but it's... i say the line because i love it so much you can see the line absolutely thank you very much i still can't believe they built the, the capsule you know there's only a few times when doctor who's done that like the remembrance we did when they built the shuttlecraft yes, the know, shuttlecraft the, yeah live action props like that yeah it's um 
Doctor Who's usually finding ways to cut corners with money. This is finding ways to splash Actually the cash. Spend, <laughs> we've seen so much on the screen. I can say that flatbed, this set, it's just all, it's all coming out, isn't it? And um, I think it's, it's, it's a funny season, this, because obviously Derek Sherwin was brought on as producer, but he left after one story to go and produce yeah. something else. And it's, it lets, you know, Barry Let's come in and, so they they have a very quick um sophomore season you know usually you see it with like season 12 and 15 and um 18 where the the new producer is coming in and producing the old producer's work yeah 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 or oh, there's certainly like a crossover of yeah styles. yeah but you, you kind of don't really get that feeling with a season it's it's oh no this is a complete departure from six yeah I mean, we've, 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 we've had a few teasers. We had um, The Invasion, which is, you know, like a very proto-unit story. Um, mm. But as far back as The Web of Fear, I think The Web of Fear is is a very proto-unit story. Oh, for sure. Yeah, well, Invasion as well, obviously. Yeah, you've got, um, being like The Web of Fear, you've got um, the grumpy scientist, Travers is the doctor. You've got the young... He's the uh, yeah. Um, you know, his daughter's obviously playing the, the Liz Shaw role in that um she's great as well though and travers and travers yeah what a strong woman yeah. i see i love all this look yeah it's just someone like you know someone uh, it's huge, isn't it? it's, it is, yeah it's very james bond as well um i think a lot of people say this is like quite a mass doctor who does quite a mass but it feels very bond it is worth noting, yeah, that this radical shift of tone, taking away the TARDIS, grounding the Doctor, essentially turning Doctor Who into quite a mass in the pit for an entire season. This could have been rejected outright by the audience and been like, well, what the hell is this? You know, yep. and instead we went from, what, three million viewers in uh, at the end of the War Games to eight million viewers yep. by the end of Spearhead from Space. And they embraced it and said, no, we want Absolutely. more. It's because, you know, there's, there's so many elements that are brought in where, like you said, it's, it's earthbound. So it's kind of like, um, you know, shock dummies coming alive and shooting at you. It's fast paced. It's action packed. You know, there's helicopters dropping smoke bombs and things are blowing up. And Can you think of another it. show that has turned a, like, turned a corner like this so radically? I can't think of what another yeah. one. No, I think of shows like that started start. off dramatic and got more comedic, yeah. like the X Files, you know, as it's yeah. gone along. But to, to, yeah. to fundamentally take your premise and yeah. rewrite it. Oh, here we go. Yeah, we've got your lines coming up. What is the capital of Australia? <laughs> we are not cleared for re entry. How many beans make five? Will you clear us for re entry? <laughs> Van Leiden. We are right. not cleared for re entry. Cut it open. I think that's so great. And then the the, the, the sudden car. Yeah. Know? And of course, this is the first um, story where we'll get the sting in the credits. Oh, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think Barry Letts said to me that he he didn't like... You go and watch Spearhead from Space and yeah. those cliffhangers feel weird. Yeah. Because the music just sort of cuts in, doesn't it? There's no, there's no segue. Yeah. But, I mean, on paper, this cliffhanger has got no right to work you know there's like you say there's no one in peril yeah. we're not advancing the plot or anything um why does this work so well why does this have us on the edge of our seats i can tell you why 
I can answer that question. I think because in those two episodes, they built up the suspense of him going into the shuttle. And then they, they've had this long protracted sequence of the thing coming down, um, them trying to steal it. So we know there is something in there that they want. Yeah. And then just at the point where he's saying, right, we're going to go in. God damn it. That's when the cliffhanger hits. But then there's, there's like the, when we go to part three, we'll see the resolution, you know, they'll the open it and then Liz, it's empty. You know, why is that not the cliffhanger? You know, why? And why is that not disappointing? Exactly. Because it's then like, the story pivots in another direction and whatever's in has been taken out and then that's utilised. It's just like episode one where you think you've got that moment where the man pulls the gun on the brig and you think that's the cliffhanger. That, and it's, it's not the cliffhanger is someone else pulling a gun, but it's, it's very sudden. And I don't know if that's why it works so well. It's because, you know, it's just the... the, the um, short sharp shock of what's happening you know with then that sting comes in and then you're left thinking what happens next what is what is going to happen next and a lot of it is down to Pertwee a lot of it's down to um Michael Ferguson because you know Pertwee is so intense in these first episodes you know there's, there's a scene in the episode one where you know he's, he's he's heard the signal from from the Mars probe and he's slapping his thigh going I can't remember who this is and yeah just so intense Barging into the office, and then, um, this you know, he's just got that mad intensity about him. Where, like, when he says, Cut it open, and we cut, I think it belies the fact as well that classic Who is just stagey and it doesn't have pace and and it can't be produced with precision like the new series is now. Absolutely, I think obviously there is episodes, there is stories which, which are slower paced and more, um you know atmospheric and whatnot but in terms of what this story is doing of just i think i think there's a lot of lazy direction in classic here as well i think there are some pedestrian directors i wouldn't i wouldn't say lazy i think um you know like i said we're going back to the likes of of peter moffat and and john black yeah you know they are functional yeah. It's the word I would use maybe more than anything. They are, they are functional directors. But again, you need those directors to come in. If you're building a, a season of your show and you're thinking, well, I've got, um, you know, five stories that I need to make and, you know, it would be like juggling loads of these at the time. You want a safe pair of hands. You want someone who you know is going to come in and not give you any trouble. It's not going to go over budget. That's not going to run over time. You know, and that's where you like Superintendent Roberts come in because they will deliver. And it might not be the most um, exciting, dynamic, action-packed, um, you know, story. But if you have a Michael Ferguson coming in every time who's going to be demanding helicopters and, this yeah. and you know, who's going to be saying, well, I want extra... Imagine how stuff. bad those end-of-seasons ones are going to be when the purse is dry, you know? Yeah. You know... But it's it's because the purse is going to run dry a lot quicker, um, because you're going to be, and you're constant you're going to be constantly having to, you know, juggle that sort of thing. So I really think you need these these directors. I wouldn't call them lazy because I don't think anyone comes into the show to think, oh, this is just going to be a, you know, I'll, I'll take the money and go. Everyone comes in and does their best. It's just obviously some people like Dougie Canfield, like Graham Harper, like um, Michael Ferguson. Could come I'd in and do a little Greg bit Wade better. In there as well. There's, yeah. there's just a handful, isn't it? Yeah, there are, and there's, there's you, you have your handfuls like um, you know, like Love at Bickford, and you have um, Alan Waring, I'd say, in yeah, um, McCoy's time. 
in your man from um, the Warriors Gate. What was he? Was he? Oh, Paul Joyce. Yeah, Paul Joyce. I, I put Matthew Robinson in there as well. Yeah, and they're going to come in and they are going to give you something really special in terms of direction. But you can't sustain that at all. But you know as well, if they were all that good, no one would stand out, would they? Whereas yeah, yeah. this exactly. really does stand out. Oh, God, yes. 